I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. For a project I'm working on, I started putting all the alchemists I have and all the information I have and all the stuff that I've gathered over the years into a chronological order and kind of, um, and I've been getting help with this and everything, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and, and, uh, but, but doing that and it might, it might turn into, it'll be a website probably with all the podcasts embedded. I don't know, really cool stuff. Um, <laughs> but anyways, the point of that is, is that by doing that, I kind of see where some of my gaps are in the show, if you look at this in a chronological order, like there's not a whole lot of early history. There's many episodes on, you know, there's Hermeticism and Neoplatonism and interviews on Neoplatonism and, and all kinds of stuff. But still, there's not, there's not a whole lot of um, uh, what happened between Alexandria and the Middle East, like Persia, and, um, you know, kind of a lot of that early history and a lot of the legends of, because everybody, even Zosimos, the first alchemist, um, or the first alchemist we have extant copies of, uh, anyways, um, even even Zosimos writes of a lot of his, his works or quotes of people that came before him. And some of these are like mythical characters. Some of these are Miriam, the Jewess, who we've done an episode on, and I'll come back to in the future, actually. Um, and some of these are like biblical figures. And, you know, and even later, these biblical figures were thought to be alchemists. And um, so those kind of gaps. And another gap I noticed was um, of Jewish alchemists in general, because I wanted to do like to fill in the gap um, between Alexandria and early and early Arab alchemy, let's say. Um, there's a lot of Jewish alchemists that I haven't really talked about yet, so I'm doing all my reading on them, and and a lot of my focus right now on my reading is early alchemy history, let's say. Um, so this this episode is A, part of that. It's part of the early Arab um, history, and it's, uh, he's, it's, it's, it's 11th century. We've done earlier Arab history, actually. Um, but he also quotes and tells stories of Solomon and of, of uh, some Jewish sources that come before him. And in fact, uh, we're talking about Abu Fala of, uh, from Syracuse of, of Sicily, of Arab Sicily at that time. Um, but uh, oh, but but he probably himself didn't have a single, or at least as far as I can tell, he didn't have a single original thought. But another cool thing he did write about is um, on this episode, we will give you the recipe of a basilisk. You know, you know what a basilisk is, uh, Pete? I do. It's a giant snake from Harry Potter. Good job. All right. All right. <laughs> That's I did my honestly this week. <laughs> I, I was like reading, 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 and something like basilisk. I'm like, wait, is that the thing? Is that the thing from Harry Potter? I just totally, I'm like, am I that, close? Like, that, let's go down that road. This is happening. Um, so, in fact, if if you come across a Horcrux, listeners, th- please, this is important. Please pay attention, and you need to destroy it. Pay close attention <sighs> to the end of this episode. Is this happening? Are you you have a problem with? Listen, I I don't assume my listeners have magic wands. I'm not like muggle racist or whatever they call it. 
So yeah, Travis, that's right. You know, Basilisk, uh, you know, that concept that comes from that he had there is, is one of the many things that he did. He's a storyteller. He, he, you mentioned this before. He really didn't have an original thought. I know that sounds really harsh, uh, but we were talking about him today in the sense of his chronicling abilities and what he's been yeah. able to do to give us some insight to the times. Pretty much, yeah. So he furthered the tradition of uh, Ghazali and Al Razi. Um, and kind of give us an idea about about their thoughts and what they've done uh, through alchemy. And we've and done before, shows on both know, of those guys, for instance. Absolutely, right? yeah. we've done both of those shows uh, that you can always take a list, listen to later on. Um, he was uh, an expert chronicler. He was uh, at least as an alchemist, he was able to take kind of that uh, idea about the importance of alchemy and putting it down uh, pen to paper to kind of save this for future future endeavors. And some of his stories are really, really good. So instead of making you wait for some future episodes, uh, let's try to give you guys some ideas about some of his works right now. For instance, the life and works, mostly uh, the works, of Abu Fala. Um, and, and like I said, so he was in Muslim uh, Sicily in Syracuse in, in the 11th century. Um, but some of his sources were Hebrew originally, and either he translated them or he worked with translated Arabic uh, copies of, of Hebrew texts. And that's really interesting because we've talked about uh, we've talked about the Kabbalah, for instance, and we've mentioned um, some Jewish alchemists before, at least in passing, but not not that much. Um, there's a lot of we've mentioned some. Uh, they, like the Hebrew alphabet in the Kabbalah and Hebrew words are in alchemy and and there's a, there's definitely an influence but to some degree that was almost overemphasized because people wanted this mysteriousness of you know using Hebrew here and there and and um, uh, you know it it was still you know getting to the Bible and that kind of thing um, but on the other hand there were Jewish alchemists uh, straight up and there were Jewish alchemists that that you know wrote stuff down and really, you know, brought the field of alchemy further, I would say, like had original thought. Um, so I, I will get to them f in the future episodes. But for now, uh, we'll just get Abu Fala, who translated some of their stuff. And just because, you know, he didn't have a lot of original thought. But if you put his works together, he does tell a lot of really interesting things about um, from Hebrew sources, um, some uh, direct, you know, legends like from Solomon, but also some of the recipes that we'll get to. Some are from Al Razi and Al Ghazali, and and some are from Hebrew sources. But uh, we'll talk a lot about recipes and and that in this episode, um, because again, he was a good chronicler, so he put a lot of this stuff together. So why not? And then, you know, in case you have that Horcrux, you have to destroy Pete. <laughs> of course, I'll teach you how to get that basilisk because it's a tooth. Remember, you need the basilisk tooth. You remember? I remember. Do you remember? How many times have you seen that movie, Pete? <laughs> okay, I got anyways. It. I lost count. <laughs> uh, I think I've seen it 20 times. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of things about Abu Fala's works in general is that it's weird that at, at, at some point he writes. Um, so, he's, you know, he says that he has the secret of alchemia where one operation will feed your whole household. Um, but he won't write it down because he's gotten in trouble before. He'll only give basically face-to-face one-on-ones. And uh, also, like many others, he says it'll only work if you have God's blessing, if you're religious, if you're, you know, if you have a good understanding of natural sciences, that kind of thing. Um, 
so, you know, he says, he goes, it's kind of weird that he says he won't write this down in books because a lot of the recipes I'm about to read later on in the show are very explicit. Like they're very clear on how to, how to turn copper into gold or silver uh, from iron. And, so somebody, and so, somebody wrote it down. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. So again, I'm just, but he's like, oh, I, you know, it's, I, I know all these things, but I won't write it down because I've gotten in trouble. But then he writes them all down. So, um, but another really cool thing is the one reason that I really wanted to like take him aside as a source of alchemy instead of just talking about his life and um, that kind of thing was that I came across this tale about Solomon, like from the Bible and the Queen of Sheba and it, it written by a Jew in the um, early Middle Ages, maybe. Um, it's it's We have it from the 16th century, but it's a much, much older tale. It could even be from, like, you know, the Alexandrian period in, in the 4th century um, as far as... But who knows when it got written down. But here's um, kind of the backstory of Solomon and, and like, the surrounding part of the, the, the Solomon in the Bible, you know, that kind of thing. So, and in this story, spoiler alert, he's an alchemist. That's right, Travis. Let's start with the tale of Solomon. Here's a story brought to us by Alamino, a 16th century Jewish alchemist of a tale by Apophala. The reason why the Queen of Sheba decided to travel from her country to a faraway land and come to Jerusalem, well, it was to hear the wisdom of Solomon, the seed of Jesse the Bethlehemite, and these things which we're, which were told by the aforementioned sage were written in the book of Yathra and the Ishmaelite who wrote an explanation onto the work of figures of alchemy. Copying it from the Sefer HaMasfun, a book of the occult, a book attributed to King Solomon, which left behind another language, and perhaps it is the book of remedies, which was hidden by Hezekiah, king of Judah, and which is still in existence in the kingdom of Armenia and the kingdom of Sheba. And this is the language of the aforementioned sage. Yeah. Um, okay. so there's more in the book. Uh, the, 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 the tale goes on in the, in the, um, the book I have. Oh, by the way, I should say that a big source on this episode is Raphael Patai's The Jewish Alchemists. And this is just like one chapter of, of a tome of uh, Jewish alchemists and stuff. So I'm, I'm getting through that. And then um, it took me years to find this book and then another year to be able to afford it. And um there's going to be a lot of good stuff that comes out of this. But yeah, so I should, I should mention that, that we're quoting. I, I'm paraphrasing the story because it was written in much floofier language. Is that, is that okay to say? Yeah, right? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> floofier? Um, <laughs> um, in much, um, much more flowery language, kind of more poetic and, you know, hard to understand. So I paraphrased it. The, the story goes on. Okay, so then it goes on and talks about uh, Solomon's book of the occult. The Queen of Sheba, where she grew up there, and when she and, and to be this mighty test lasting ten days, where all the sages and judges of the end of the land would would test him to see if he could hold up to the prince's father's wisdom, all those type of things like that. And if he failed, he'd lose his head. Eh, kind of a rough way to go. Uh, a man named Simon stepped up and answered the questions for ten days, and he he seemed to know everything. So the sages came up with a plan when the time came to an end. They said if, they, if he could make, in his wisdom, something very small, when was great quality and importance, a thing worth more than a kingdom, he should bring such a thing to the princess, since nothing seemed beyond him. And after that, they'd crown him king. So he busted out the philosopher's stone and gave it to the princess in front of the princes and the counselors and judges and sages. But when they saw this, they laughed. For, it did not, for they did not understand its nature, and threw Simon into jail and sharpened their blade. 
But then Shimon asked for anything out of metal in the house that would be brought to him, copper, lead, tin, anything of that nature. And he threw it into a forge and scraped just a flake off of the stone and added it to the mix. And out came gold, purified sevenfold. He was crowned king, married the princess, and added the philosopher's stone to the kingdom's treasury as its greatest item. But alas, Simon died after seven years, leaving the queen with no heir. And that's when she heard of Solomon. And so when she visited him, it was the philosopher's stone that she brought and wanted to know if Solomon could also make one. And if he could, and then told her how it was done, she'd marry him, giving him the stone and the kingdom, just for the knowledge on how it was done. And if not, she'd just kind of get out of there. <laughs> or bounce, as yeah. it were, Travis. Just go, go back to and she, you. You like my, you like my uh, notes? <laughs> I, I do. They're and fantastic. And he busted out a philosopher's stone. Bam! <laughs> it's, That's how it's I imagine. He's like, like, bam, check this out, suckers. Philosopher's stone. <laughs> No, that's not that's not how this goes off. History. This is all how this goes on in my mind. I don't I don't know why you guys don't see this. Oh boy. Okay, so just in out, case princes? you know, she bounced. <laughs> she bounced, sucker. Wait, you know all what? Right. That's kind of how my mom told me bedtime stories, so maybe that's maybe that's I mean, so in like every tale was like so Hansel and Gretel goes and then then now the wolf, see he liked the nightlife. He liked to boogie. Seriously, that that what that's a direct quote from my mother, and I know she listened. <laughs> and I heard your previous uh, your Bohemian episodes are like really great. This kind of reminds me of that, except for the uh, bounce and he busted out. Um, oh, the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah if, if my listeners aren't aware, Bohemian Pete's been um, with his son. He he did uh, Charles Bridge, and then also the Prague Castle, like bedtime stories related, like good stories, anyways, um, related around uh, the, you know the Charles Bridge and Castle in Prague. So, go give those a listen. Any any alchemist ones uh, on the list there for bedtime stories? Not yet, but that, yeah, that's a great that's a great one coming up. Do it. Do a crossover. Do a crossover. Yeah, there you do go. Do a crossover for the audience. Nathaniel so yeah, is awesome. On the, dude, Nathaniel, I'm not ready to go great? back yet. Nathaniel is awesome okay. on those shows. That is just fantastic. <laughs> you're doing that. Okay, now we can go back. I know. I yeah, yeah. I wish he was here right now. He'd probably make this a little spicier. <laughs> yeah. Then what happened? <laughs> then what happened? Okay, so she said that she'd marry him and give him the stone, the philosopher's stone, uh, just in case so she knew she knew how it was done. So she wanted to see him do it, right? Right. And if and if she if, if it did not work out, she'd just leave. Uh, but he answered all the questions and told her how to make the stone. <laughs> so he knocked her up. Hey, so hey, knocked, isn't that what happened? So he, just, it's history, folks. Yeah. Or I don't know. I don't. It's, it's historic legend. So she got knocked up. Okay. <laughs> All right. She got knocked up and sol- by she Solomon. Had a, she and... had a philosopher's stone in her own oven, in in oh, her oh, own boy. cucurbit. She had something in her own cucurbit, a bacon. Uh, you know, alchemy jokes are funny for just a certain pound of population. <laughs> but our audience loves it. So her alembic was rife with life. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what were you saying? But told, but, but okay. So she got pregnant, uh, but he, but told her that she could keep the kingdom if she made her son the ruler and also named him after himself. And so all the kings are then called Suleiman the first, Suleiman the second, etc. Because of this, and it was Solomon answering these questions to the queen, and him therefore acquiring the stone, and the reason why these things got written down. 
um, that story, I've been I've been kind of aching to to tell one of the Solomon stories for a long time because I know I can, it comes up over and over and over uh, in the Renaissance in the, by the Renaissance, and I, I discussed it kind of briefly with. Um, Rob Olson, who I had on the previous show, I interviewed him for hours, actually, and that's that's about to be published. Um, well, is already as you're hearing this. Um, but we talked about like what what does it mean to be a, have a primary source and what did they think primary sources were, etc. And uh, the fact is that by the Renaissance, by the by the early modern period, by the by the golden age of alchemy, early modern periods maybe already too late, but by the golden age of alchemy, which is where this source comes from, almost the um, Alamano, the Hebrew translation of this story um by then it was like it was taken as you know hermes trismegistus was as old as moses and and these stories about solomon were just just as believable as the the ones in the bible to many many people especially to alchemists um so you know there will be i'll do an episode i'll summarize more but um just all through the old testament all of them anytime you can take something to mean the philosopher's stone if there's gold mentioned moses destroying the golden calf um you know oh wow there's all kinds of you know alchemical parallels that are drawn there in stories and legends and so this is solomon is is no no exception solomon was definitely taken as you know the wisdom that's mentioned in the bible was taken as he has the knowledge that god gave him which means to alchemists he has the gall, the the knowledge of the philosopher's stone and anything in the bible that can be taken as such will be and then stories like this flesh it out and stories like this are now by the 16th century they're already at least 500 years old uh Stories like this, much older, already a thousand years. Um, and, you know, the biblical source, sources are now already two, two and a half thousand years old, um, that kind of thing. But but to those guys, they're all the same age. They are the ancients, quote unquote. And so that that's why it's important. That's why I've really been meaning for a long time to go back and uh, put put together. Because if you look at the alchemists, what they believed in the golden age, well, they believed stories like this, or they knew about stories like this. And uh, in some cases, they believed them to be as authoritative as the Bible. So, um, oh yeah, like uh, th- there's going to be more of these actually. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to these. These are really great tales. And these are the legends that people took as, um, oh, well, if Abu Fala wrote it down, then it's, that's what happened. So we, we think at this point, Travis, that, that Sheba got this information with the Philosopher's Stone. She then imparted it to Solomon, who basically um, became, you know, her surrogate, fa- uh, basically her husband. Uh, and the and so she gave him this uh, all this information. So within his cabinet, within his treasury, he had a way of making gold. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Amazing. because in the Bible, Amazing it's stuff. you know, okay. Bible tests Solomon in a way. He says, "I will give you." Um, wisdom riches or what fame or something or power power i believe and solomon chooses wisdom and he says well okay because you chose that if you give wisdom you'll you will naturally get the other two or i'll give you the other two um so that's like oh so he also got riches right through the wisdom which the wisdom god gave him and that is like that sentence right there that concept right there is so core to alchemists later understanding like it is a divine gift you know, given first to Adam, uh, then, you know, Noah, Noah's son is off, is often mentioned. And then, yes, yeah, Solomon, David, uh, you know, on down the line. 
And um, so, yeah, it's passed on from adept to adept, basically. And if you can say, oh, yeah, I got, you know, this recipe comes all the way back to Solomon or this this wisdom, then that's that's just the highest form there is. That's the unadulterated wisdom from God directly. So, um, and uh, yeah, alchemists were definitely a believer in that, especially in this time period, the, the Arab alchemists. So, um, yeah. Now, let me see. I, I have a ton of impressions of just random bits of pieces of... Uh, I think I have, have them somehow categorized, but just I was reading through recipes and recipes and recipes of uh, little quotations that are in uh, Raphael Patai's book, uh, all kinds of uh, little snippets of what Abu Fala wrote on gold, gold in nature, gold uh, gold for, in terms of alchemy and how to make it, silver in nature and and anon and copper and, and so forth. So we're just going to go through these bullet points that are really kind of random. It's just throughout the works of... Um, Abu Fala, but categorized somewhat by topic uh, to some degree. So, like uh, for example, so um, we we learned through Abu Fala that we we talked in previous episodes about just the horoscope, astrology, and you know how in one ways how the microcosm determines the macrocosm, or vice versa, and and such, and therefore the stars affect life on Earth and that kind of that belief. Um, now, Abu Fala mentions, again, not his original thought, but he writes down that metals are also born. Remember, we had in Sandivogius' episode the belief, which is much older than him also, um, the belief that a metal ripens from mercury to lead to iron to copper uh, and so on to a couple of alloys, right. actually, down the road to silver to gold. So when each metal is born... From let's say iron to copper, and from copper to silver, when that happens, they also, like humans and all animals and all things, have a somewhat of a horoscope of a uh, astrological predetermination to their life. They are copper because they happen. You know, Sagittarius was in the right whatever, and um, that's when the right conditions in the Earth were met. Were met, and so bam, copper. And um, yeah, so that's just that's just like one idea that we've come across later. Now we hear this in the 11th century, and we also learn that it's even older than him. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring that one up. Let's we see. also mentioned by Ghazali that you know dry and moist qualities are part of this. Red arsenic or rock lichen would would be an example of one impure by nature, and then the moist can have a property of melting some copper or silver, and the other break breaks down like iron. So that's yeah. one example of that. Ghazali, yeah. So it goes, okay, whew, I have to rack my memory brain cells here. Um, so we have Aristotle. An earlier episode. One of, I mean, our yeah, first that's, year we did one that's of That's the thing is that it was we, a long time ago. But I, I remember, so yeah. we, okay, so we have air, earth, fire, water, the four elements, you know, Aristotle, Aristotle Plato, all those um, goes that far back. So earth, air, fire, water. Now Ghazali, if I remember, Ghazali was the big classifier and he classified minerals as, as uh, falling into these, not quite a periodic table. But um, if he knew about elements, he would have loved that that idea. So he was a big classifier. He would, you know, animals, mineral, uh, and Abu Fala picked up on a lot of this and w- repeated a lot of it. But animals are have such a nature because they have these in common, and by these commonalities we can categorize them. And what you just said, so there was like dry and moist, was like so as, uh, so in alchemy this is really important. This is crucial um, <clears throat> because you want to turn gold to silver uh no you don't want to do that you want to turn like a a mercury or or lead to gold okay so um lead has certain aspects gold has certain aspects 
by making, and we talked about this in the last, in my uh, interview in the last episode too, but by making the aspects of lead more like gold, in this case, drier, um, lead is more moist and gold is more dry. Um, by doing so, then by adding whatever sulfur to it or whatever, making the melting point higher or doing whatever they do, making it an alloy, then they're encouraging the metal to become gold because it has the qualities of gold. Now it just needs to like manifest as gold. That philosophy behind, um, you know, what happened or why it happened, that's really important. So Abu Fala, that's, that's just, it's just really important. So Abu Fala commented on this and kind of expanded on the idea a bit. So, uh, yeah, that's why it's here. Okay, we also mentioned that that gold is a direct result of the sun, so that you can't have gold without the sun, mm-hmm. and the whiteness of silver is due to the moon. So mm-hmm. we have those two kind of celestial bodies that are, are a direct uh, correlation yeah. with the metals that we have. And then, yeah, and then on down to the planets and the, you know, down copper, tin, and so forth. Um, but yeah, he kind of, uh, yeah, he he just wrote about that more, that direct correlation um, Paracelsus mentioned, you know, centuries later mentions that again, mentions that, yes, in fact, um, metals are tied to, to metals, uh, planets are tied to metals and later people refuted that. Um, that's, you know, the birth of modern science kind of, they started to say, why, <laughs> why is Mars like iron? Um, but yeah, so, so this is also a very old idea. Abu Fala comment on this as well. So the reason that tin and lead melt faster than gold and silver is that the attachments for the parts to one another is more great is more uh, greater in gold than it is for the reason why gold does not deteriorate and does not rust for a very long time. Also, melting is very um, uh, retarded, or we can say that it is, it is uh, very difficult uh, to be melted in fire, which. Like you said, Travis, is that's kind of interesting because there is a certain set melting point for, for gold, as we know, uh, but uh, maybe it's a little bit more difficult than other metals that they knew of the day. I'm thinking um, and if, the he's, other reason if he's is comparing that it to tin is, and lead, then yes. Tin and lead might have lower yes. melting points than gold. So, okay, fair enough. But gold makes has a sense. low melting And then the point. other reason is that dust uh, can go into lead. All right, so that that's part of that issue. Yeah. So there's this interconnection that we have with all our elements and things that we have that are part of our uh, life experience can go into these uh, metal and and uh, see what they can do as far as breaking them down into at least a melting point. Yeah, what I think is cool is that he mentions parts, and it's like he's he's just he's so far away from the idea of an atom of an element, really. Um, in our sense, like gold is an element and cannot be changed, but he did kind of, he did say like the parts of gold are closer together. And so it resists corrosion basically, you know, and, and lead is the opposite. They're further apart. So it lets dust in, I guess, you know? Um, so yeah, that's just like, there's, they're like, why doesn't, ah, he even says parts. Why doesn't he just go on to say like, um, the elements, the atoms, the, um, but they're just not quite there yet. So yeah, he, uh, yeah. He can so choose the rest. I, I know he also yeah he writes things like he just writes about the purity of gold. Like you know, as a test, when you melt it, no dross comes out. Um, unlike with with iron or lead, especially you know, there's there's always that that floaty bit that is that those impurities. Like pure pure gold doesn't have that. So that's um, yeah. So he just he just writes about that. That is the nature of gold. It is by nature so pure and and you know such a great thing. Yeah, well, some of the color, his viewpoint on color, Travis, actually fascinates me. Gold and silver's color is due to the vapor that goes in them. That's kind of a neat sort of idea. 
Um, Mercury, in its origin and yeah. nature of two aspects, for one, it has a source like silver that he says is quicksilver instead of mercury. We kind of know that from our vocabulary on the show, and like any other silver. And then also that there's uh, much humidity in mercury, so it doesn't coagulate, um, but but stays yeah. kind of like a watery substance. So it has more right? moist. Yeah, it has more of that moist yeah. quality. Um, uh, there was there was one thing where I don't know why because you said okay so it's resistant to fire gold is resi- more resistant to fire than like let's say lead or tin yeah not completely um, but more yeah but he also holds the belief that yet an ostrich could melt gold if an ostrich sits on a gold nugget like like an egg I don't know where this comes from but I wrote it down because I was just kind of like scratching my head but I get you know ostriches they're in alchemical um they're in alchemical what they're in alchemical like graphics images all the time uh they're there's the symbol of like sticking your head in the sand kind of thing um and an ostrich can then look like an alembic sort of or a retort um that that's why so you see them a lot but i guess now we also see that they they really they really thought that they actually the ostrich itself had some sort of mystical quality to it that it could lead gold which a fire could not so yeah that's Weird, I guess, but yeah, interesting. We also mentioned temperatures. Yeah, cold cannot prevail on mercury, so it's so it stays moist in its liquid-like form. And in nature, if mercury and sulfur are found in equal parts in the earth, and the sulfur can draw off the moisture of the mercury, and the heat is average, nothing cold happens, nor dryness, then they will both ripen into gold. So if you have all yes. these other things going just the right way. They, they could just turn into gold by themselves. A very interesting thought about how these gold veins you might find in mountains probably have happened in his mind means that, right. well, if the heat stays the same and there's no cold snaps that happen and sulfur is equal to the mercury, mm-hmm. then bam, you got gold. Yeah. Right? Explains so, it. Yeah, because I've, so I've come across the theory couple other times but he really went into detail with because he's basically describing what people are doing in a lab you know salt mercury and sulfur and you know heating it for so long and blah 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 but he was really saying like this is why it works at alchemy because this is how it happens in nature it you know if it if you get the right conditions you get equal parts you get you know dry um nothing moist no weird events um then it will ripen to gold if something happens if there's more one than other then it, what does he say? Like if it's too cold at some point, then it then it turns to silver instead. If it's too dry, right. it turns to it copper. Yeah. There's yeah. If cold happens even early at an even earlier stage, then it's iron. Um, there's more like you know ha- cold happens really quick and moisture. Then it's black iron. Uh, if mercury comes out on top over the sulfur and it's the heat is weak, then you get lead. And it all kind of, it seems to make, it seems to be common sense, right? But it's, but it's not. I mean, this is not how uh, metals are made. We now know these are elements. These are atoms. They're made in, you know, like when stars are born and super hot temperatures. Um, but we don't have fission in, in the earth. So all iron that's in the earth is, was, is, and will be in the earth. All metal, gold, silver, all that stuff. That doesn't change. Not even in the, in the, you know, in the middle of the earth at its, at the core, that's just iron. Um, but they didn't know that they had no idea. So they actually thought that, yeah, metals ripened, metals were born. Um, so the same type of issue with, with the speed of the climate change also, makes it makes into a different type of iron base like for instance if the cold happens very quickly 
and then there's moisture on top of that, then it becomes black iron. So there, there is some malleability with some of the metals mm -hmm. that come out. And, and the best way to explain it, well, it was because nature did this too quickly or it was a yeah. slow burn or it was a cold snap. Uh, those things can explain this type of iron ore that might come out of the earth. So, you know, it, it is all very interesting in, in that sense because you're looking at it through, you know, the eyes of Abafala that 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 was how he wrapped his head around the world. And keep keep in mind, again, these aren't really his original thoughts. He's borrowing right. from other people, but he's writing them down. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so we want to make sure that that, again, is, is, is set out there. So, again, we can move on a little bit further to what Abafalo thought on metals. Uh, tin, near to silver, differs in smell, smell and softness and tone. Its softness is because it's too much mercury in it, and the tone is due to the thickness of the sulfur, and the smell is due to not being quite ripe enough. Mm -hmm. Silver is close to gold and can be made into gold. We, we know that from a lot of other uh, sources. That's what people would think back then. And yeah. lead is closer to silver with tin involved. Yeah. And then he, he, he goes down a list. He even goes through some alloys and everything. He has um, like latun, which is like brass, copper, zinc. Um, metal, which is, which is just metal spelled funny, but it's basically copper or tin with a, like a lead alloy. Um and it, like that one, for instance, so it would be like make white lead out of lead with vinegar. Minimum is a red color from lead. And then at like to get add sulfur to get that red color. Um, you can get vermilion out of mercury and sulfur, verdigris of copper and vinegar. He, he gives a recipe of how to gild with mercury and silver or or gold, like how to gild, you know, just have a thin layer of those things on a surface. Yeah, and then and then on the tradition of Al Ghazali, he just classifies. Um, you get yeah, so classifications of salt, alum, saltpeter, nitrates, uh, naphtha, bitumen, like all these salts can be sweet, mined from Cardona, bitter, uh, which you can clear silver vessels with. So he had classifications based on their qualities, and then applications like practical uses for all these minerals and stuff. So really, just yeah, just like he he was. A, I mean, that's a chemist in in many ways. Like here's the here's the chemicals, here's the compounds, and here's what you can do with them. Even though yeah, he wasn't a chemist in the sense he understood why, but yeah, is pretty pretty intelligent stuff. Pretty neat stuff. So Abafala doesn't really claim to be an inventor of anything himself, but just really passing on the knowledge. And I think you can think of that in in, in terms of uh, some of the great historians of, of, of the day, especially in, in Greece. You know, they, they weren't the ones that were in the stories, but they were the ones documenting these stories. And, you know, Abafala also talks about the, the Plato's universal uh, and particular souls that plays a part into this. And, you know, like with that, he openly gives examples of how to make gold from Solomoniac and aluminum and vinegar. Um, taking some of these base knowledges from other people and writing it down, he kind of gives uh, you know a little bit more detail about it as if he's giving a more of a, uh, a how-to book uh, in some ways. He also, he also mentions on how to make copper into gold by soaking them into something we don't know quite what it is yet, uh, or it left yeah, to it was, us in it history. Like, it was like illegib illegible in the, in the, illegible in the original in, text, in the books. yeah. So you want to make sure that the, it becomes black and soft. Then take vitriol and alkali salt, borax, and white glass. Grind it all together into a fine powder. Mix it with black seedless raisins. And then with the fig juice, grind it back in with salt. Drench it with vinegar, alum, aluminum water, and then with some other stuff. 
you know, sublime, I guess, to put it into an alembic, and sublime it to about uh, seven times in a weak fire for four hours each time, and then four hours in a strong fire. The color with the, with the bark of a willow uh, soaked in there for about nine days will help almost complete this. With the white things on the willows, those little fuzzy little things, yeah, I, exactly. I assume. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right? Yeah. You put them into metal where it is still hot, and then it will turn white, pure yep. white. Okay? So copper into silver, you know, this and, – and Travis, this is going that, – that finishes that part of that that recipe. Is that correct? And we go into something yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these are all just like this random – yeah, these are all yeah. So okay. like one example was yeah, just like oh, you want you want metal to be white like silver? Yeah, take these little uh, the little things on the willows. The one but yeah, the one before that ended with the strong fire, which was just to color. Um, oh, how to make gold from salamoniac? Yeah, so just like oh yeah, and and alum and vinegar. So it's not even yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like coloring how to color things so good that it's really in the metal and it will not it will pass the test basically it will look like gold it will if you cut it in half it'll still look like gold if you melt it it might still look like gold um just really interesting stuff like that one and that one okay. might have been from al-razi that first one all right and this might as well be from al-razi as well of turning copper into silver that's something that people would really like especially if you're trying to make uh ornamentation uh or uh, something that's going to have some kind of stability with your tools um, you might want to do this one. So you're going to take green arsenic, grind it and mix it with vinegar uh, uh, for quite some time, distill until white. Mix with the musk and white flour, then mix the arsenic until it whitens. At that point, you need to grind it again and mix it with all the oil of, those, of the eggs that you, you had for your, for your recipe. And on seven parts copper and with one part silver, and then kind of put it all together and it will come out pretty strong. Uh, come, so another way uh, is to have uh, sol ammoniac and mix it with the melted copper. It'll be white all the way through to its core. So that give you more of a, uh, a more of a whiter sort of silver uh, issue from a base copper. And yeah. then most likely, again, Travis was from Al Razi. I'm trying to picture these. Like, if these were oil paints, what would the mixture look like? Because that's you know, it's really so they're really like they're they're um, like distilling this stuff. They're melting it they're using the vapors and sometimes sometimes they're just dunking it in something so some recipes if you cut it in half you would see that oh the white's only on the outside but on some of these like yeah it says you know it'll be white all the way through because they're really mixing i mean it's just it's just really interesting stuff so I'm, I'm trying to imagine like some of them would be really white some of them if you add copper it would take on a brass gold tinge um yeah, just just it's fast. I like I want to go if it wasn't except you you kind of lost me at green arsenic. I'm not sure I want to go heat up a bunch of green arsenic and um yeah, I know we've said it on the sh- on the on the show before, folks. Don't try to do this. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving parts of the recipes out. So don't don't get clever and go off and try to Well, um, we we can't give you everything or you make gold by yourself or silver. Well, you become some, rich. some, some we of these recipes are pretty happen. some of these recipes are pretty complete, <laughs> but there's still like one or two ingredients that are just not clear in the text. Um, so these are some of the more plain text ones I've ever come across, which is interesting. And this was a lot of, some of these were Al-Razi, some of these were Jewish sources. Um, but, but yeah, it's just really interesting stuff, except that some of these ingredients are really, really dangerous. You don't want to take like arsenic and like, you know, try to distill it without really knowing what you're doing and, um, or heating lead and mercury. You don't want mercury vapors in your kitchen. That just doesn't, does that sound like a good idea? 
while you're doing all this stuff, you're just be making a lot of mess, a smelly mess, as it were. A really so, oh, by the way, you know, sulfur, guys, yeah. sulfur stinks. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. But you know, so we we talked about these metals, but Travis, this is the part of the show that I like the best. What about making a basilisk? Are we getting back to that? Are we going to make on. a snake here? Is whoa, that happening? Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. First, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the basilisk. We're there, we're there man. Let me see. I want you to talk, this, me, now, wait talk a minute. me through is this, this. Two different recipes or is this one? I think you make the basilisk. Okay. First of all, how to make a snake. I'm not sure if one leads to the other, but let's talk about how to make a snake first. Take some okay. hair. Okay, you take you start with hair. Obviously, think long, maybe spaghetti, but I'm going to go with hair. That's what the recipe calls for. Take some hair and you turn them into worms with scary heads and two tails. Okay, I haven't seen those in nature, so I'm going to make my my snakes. Now, you cover the hair with two plates, all right? And they'll eventually kind of ferment into and turn into those uh, snakes with two tails. Now, you can let them out, or, or you leave them be, and they will all eat each other. And after nine days, just one huge honking snake remains. And now why would you want to do that? Now, there's a, there's a cool uh, thing you can make out of that. You distill the, the snakes with stuff and you get soul water and soul dust. Now, soul dust sounds like something you could buy on the street. I'm not sure. I was gonna, I was I'm a little say, confused This whole here. thing I'm, is a follow-up of, of taking too much sticky icky and then writing things down. Seriously. This is very interesting. I actually found another recipe for soul dust. So apparently, I don't know what soul dust is. Someone, please enlighten me, if uh, dear listeners, if you know. Um, But there's another one, which is you take blood from a man's ears and you fill a glass vessel sealed with philosopher's clay, which I'm also not clear on what that is exactly, and you let it stand for 40 days, and bam, soul dust, like just like soul dust. Now that seems like ear blood, ear ear blood, seems like. Or hair, but it seems like you skip the snake step. So I don't know which I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not even clear on what soul dust is. So, so Pete, are you are you now ready for making a basilisk? Well, at this to, point, after to what to you told me about the snakes, a... I'm not ready. I'm not well, ready. <laughs> okay, so how are you? Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, how are you going to destroy the Horcrux? No, I don't care. We don't have to talk about basilisks. I don't care. How are you going to do it? Well, I think I don't know if don't I can do it. Don't you say Gryffindor sword because you're not worthy. You're not worthy. <laughs> I'm not worthy. Oh, God. Was that a nerd test? You just gave it and I passed. <laughs> okay. So, oh, so, so let's, let's assume oh. we're not worthy of Dumbledore. Uh, who? Gryffindor's. Oh, okay. We're not worthy of Gryffindor's sword. And we need to, we need to, we need a basilisk tooth. Okay. How would I go about that? Well, the first thing you need to do is take the eggs from a cock. The eggs that are long and pointed. I can't read this. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No, no, no. no. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Take... A long and pointed cock? No, no, no. Take a what? rooster's... Okay. Listen, listen. Okay. Maybe I should do the recipe. Yes, please. Because I read the exact... When I read the book, I'm like, what the fuck? Roosters don't lay eggs. Yeah, it says... So the recipe okay. says take cock's eggs. Seriously, like take, let's say rooster, take roosters because that way you can get, you can move past it. Um, We can take roosters eggs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, roosters do not lay eggs. What is meant by roosters eggs are the eggs that are long and pointed more than uh, the rounded ones, meaning male, like male roosters will hatch from them rather than chickens. That's what, that's what cock's eggs means, Pete. Got you. Okay. Okay. 
Good. All right. So they only take 30 of those long, long, <laughs> long elongated eggs, or 40, if you will. Um, and then I want you to break them and hide them in a warm dung pile underneath the earth. All right. So while they're in the poop uh, and sealed still, so I, I warned you, you that this... I get, that it gets better. Should I warned you that it, I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> oh, Were boy. you ready All for right. that? And, and, so I now, was not ready for that. Now you've oh. um, you've now covered your cock's eggs in poop. Okay, I'm listening. You have my attention. Okay. Have your attention. Great. Make sure the eggs are still sealed, and with a straw or a reed, something you can find, um, you place it in there so the vapor can escape. Now that that's how you make the that's pretty much how you make the basilisk, which uh, then turns people into stone, just like in Harry Potter. Now I don't know how true that part is, so that but I is, will tell you that it makes a giant snake. Honestly, I've never heard of a basilisk before I watched Harry Potter, but apparently, if you go look up um, these old legends, it is a creature from mythology, and it is just like Medusa, where if it looks at you, it turns you to stone. Just like in Harry Potter. So, so which means Harry Potter is actually, it is a true story. It did happen in real life. And Hogwarts, I, I know I'm too old, but my children, I'm sure, will make it in. Pete, don't don't ruin this for me. Don't crush my oh, dreams. Oh, man. Don't, yeah. don't make yeah. me cry on the show, Pete. <laughs> okay, but now, okay, so, but what, now, okay, forget Harry Potter for a minute. And I know you don't want to, but forget Harry Potter. Why, why do you think Abu Fala would want, I mean, what's, what, what is he using that uh, basilisk for? Like, is there any. I think Abu Fala would use this, or not use this. He's just a chronicler. He's, he's going to write this down for others to protect um, maybe Islam from infidels. How about that? Oh, so the Muslims can like create basilisks in their in their armies and then send them out to the enemy and turn them all to stone. Is that? And if they if they're not true believers, then they would turn to stone. I think that that was his viewpoint. How do you not turn your own? Because I I'm with you. I think this is a sound theory. Because your army your army's true believers. They're true. They're true believers. So they're just safe. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Only infidels would be turned into. Um, You know, we don't know why why there would be a need for this. Right. I I don't want to. I don't want to crush your theories here. But actually, (laughs) so letting it out would be a really bad idea because people would basically turn to stone. So what what Abu Fallah would do was remember you you put that straw in there that reed to let the vapors out. Well, right. so he actually said, make sure that straw has a kink in it so you don't actually accidentally look in and get turned to stone like an idiot looking looking into a dung pile. I mean, they're like, hey, what's that statue? Why is he really intently staring at that pile of poop? You don't want to be that guy. So what you do is you take that reed while the basilisk is still in there and you just like jab it around a bunch and you kill the basilisk. Okay. And so then you, again, what's the point of doing this? Okay. Well, stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you boil it down. Now, okay, the bo- you boil it down and to get the ashes of the basilisk. And that those ashes are very extremely valuable. However, Abu Fala does not exactly know or say what they're for, how they're valuable, and actually he says it's probably not worth the trouble um to make a basilisk. So I, I feel like this whole thing's been kind of a letdown. <laughs> I, I, you know, I guess, I guess he felt that it was a cool sort of idea that he heard, and that to lose it to history because it's not written down would be disaster. It's like it's, so, there's this thing you can do that to turns people to stone, and you can burn it and turn it to ashes. But like, I, I, it's not really worth it. It's just kind of a hassle. Like you have to, you have to, you have to <laughs> touch poop. 
You have to do. You have to waste forty good eggs, cock eggs. No, I wouldn't, on the air. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it either. Okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that's the show tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed the basilisk recipe and all his Abu Fala's recipes for gold. There's going to be a lot more, um, not on Abu Fala. We're done with Abu Fala, but um, I'll, from that time period, the, the early, I'm trying to go back even further. So a couple more legends um, to get the whole history of alchemy going. And, and cause um, again, these, these legends were, um, legends that alchemists were familiar with and they, you know, partially believed them. So we, we, we should be aware of them too, to get a, a better grasp of the history of alchemy. Um, besides this, we got, yeah, there's tons of, so history of alchemy, as you've noticed, it's back up. we got a couple of shows out there. We're going to try to keep it going. We have a ton of shows of history of Germany, secret cabinet, Bohemican. Um, yeah, there, we got new shows all out there. If you go to podcastnick.com, you can see them all. Um, Pete, has been working night and day to get Bohemican uh, YouTube channel new content up there. So we got a video about uh, Pete and I went to a witch burning festival in the Czech Republic, which you guys might get a kick out of. Um, they still kind of celebrate this. They do it at Easter. They do it now. They just they just kind of do it a lot. Um, and they and then we also went to the 70th anniversary of Pilsen of the liberation of Pilsen. And I I broke out my old grandfather. I broke out my old grandfather's uniform and put it on for probably the only time in my life. And uh, so and we went down to Pilsen and saw the reenactments and, and we met uh, General Patton's granddaughter great. and just a great time. Had a lot of Pilsner beer. Um, and so there's that, the Bohemican YouTube channel. Again, don't miss that. There, there's, there's, there's links on Podcast Nick also. Um, and besides that, we are proudly a part of the Agora Podcast Network. So if you run out of our shows, there's other great shows out there. The podcast of the month this month is Thomas Daly's fantastic American biography. We both highly recommend it. Great, great show. Um, Tom's a great podcaster, great host. And um, besides that, we are also members of the Dark Myths um, podcast group. They're on darkmyths.org. Interesting, there's not a lot of overlap between the two groups. So, yeah, I mean, go check them both out. One's at agorapodcastnetwork.com, and the other one is darkmyths.org. And Dark Myths has more of a darker um, kind of shade to their podcast groupings. Like, there's a lot of mysteries and ghost stories and a lot of... And, of course, we're there, um, obviously. So, Secret Cabinet is basically made for that group. So thank you for listening. I'm Pete Coleman. I'm Travis Dow, and until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.